Thank you for joining Second Acts. I'm saying this is a podcast that talks to people who are not just incarcerated, but people who are just locked in their own worlds and stuck. They're trying to move forward. So we want to not just speak to people who are behind the walls. We want to speak to people who are in prison. And we don't define prisons as four walls and a cell. Mm. So we're going out and we're going to reach out to everybody anywhere and let them know that transition is possible, which is why I brought you here. Well, thank you. And I describe you as the queen of Atlanta. Hey! You're saying, <laughs> if there's ever a socialite circle, which I didn't know nothing about, I thought it was only white people. <laughs> I didn't know black folks could be socialites. There was no TV shows of black socialites. I know. We should we should the, have one. Well, I guess we have them now. But. What? Yeah, that's that. Reality TV is not socialites. Those is crazy people. Okay. So, I wanted you to come because we're talking about second acts in life. You were on like act nine or something. Something like saying? that. You've been through so much stuff that... Um, you shouldn't be standing, but you're still standing. And if you can do it, and if you can come through your trauma and turmoil and be successful and stand upright, then I want you to share that message with the audience. All right. I'm so here tell us your journey. So entrepreneurship. So for me, it started um, in college. I was a uh, freshman, and I was cheering for the Atlanta Hawks and fell in love, so I thought, with a you know basketball player from Philly. And I was moving up there. I was hold on, hold on, hold on. AI? No. We no, always no, got to no, ask. No, 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 no. Just got to ask. Just check. <laughs> there is no other basketball player from Philly, just for the record. Okay, There's well. AI, Dr. J, and Charles Barkley. It was neither of those. After that, it's like, I hate to say you had a whatever, but... <laughs> So long story short, uh, that was very short-lived, two weeks, and um, I came back. I had missed registration for school, and um, my girlfriend was a waitress at a strip club, and she's like, yeah, the owner knows you. And I was like, no, I don't know any owner of a strip club. Obviously, I did. He, I met him at a car wash, and he said he owned a jewelry store, which he did as well. And so anyway, I ended up parking cars there, and I started a female parking service for strip clubs. And so that's, that's how I paid for college. Now, people don't understand the mathematics. Woo. If 300 cars come into a club at a night, minimum of $20, that's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's some serious money. That's I six was, grand a night without tips. And I was only working on the weekends. And by the time I was 19, I had two houses and three cars as a 19-year-old. Let me see. If we had, like, the applause machine, <laughs> I would hit it now. There's a rule about not clapping and clapping for the mic. That just sounds crazy. So we're mythically <laughs> hitting the applause machine. So that's what got you into real estate? Or so that, that got me into um, parking cars, which ultimately did get me into real estate because um, going to school, I, I used to take this back road, and there was um, a group that, I mean, a group of guys that were from Howard University and called Noontime, and they um, had a publishing company. And so I did an internship there as I was working as well. Um, and I was still cheering for the Hawks, and their uncle came to town from the Bay Area, and he saw that real estate in Atlanta was very prime for flipping houses, and so he tried to get them to use some of their money to do that. Well, flipping houses back in the 90s, late 90s, was not sexy. I mean, you know, it's crack house, trap houses, all that kind of stuff. They bought a lot of houses, but the uncle didn't have the resources here in Atlanta to really flip them. Right. And so then they became 
you know, overextended very quickly. Um, and so I became a straw buyer, which I didn't know what that was at the time. I completely trusted them. I was part of their company, and you know, it was. You got a bunch, You became a slumlord. Well, before you come a slumlord, you, you buy a property, right? So I bought the property sight unseen. He was supposed to give me some money back at the time, and you know, of course, he's you know can't find him. I'm gonna be in town, da da da. And I started getting these foreclosure notices on month three, and I had never even seen the house. So finally, I went to go look at it. I couldn't tell if it was a single family house or a duplex, because it had like two doors, but the inside was all one level right. or you know one house. I couldn't tell which rooms the bathroom was supposed to be in, which room the kitchen was. It was a complete shell. So um, I started buying sheetrock on credit cards and learning how to hang sheetrock, and completely redid the house, and um, went out of town. Came back and the neighborhood got me. They stole they everything. They stole stuff. everything. They got you. They got me. Hot water tank down the street. Uh, tub and shower combination. You down was the street. like walked out. Of, did you take pictures? I mean, and then the thing about it was, is I couldn't even get reimbursed for it because a lot of it was like not really worth anything. Right. So well, I mean, did you take pictures of the prettiness that you made the house look? Oh, I don't remember. I'm sure I did, but <laughs> you was heartbroken. Yeah, so then, you know, the hard-knock lives of property management, um, being a property owner with tenants and slumlords and all that kind of stuff. And so I went to real estate school to learn more about it. At the time, Donald Trump was really big with the New Deal and, you know, how to flip real estate. And I believed in it. Um, so that's how I got into real estate. Went to real estate school and did not want to become an agent. I thought I was going to be a radio, TV, film person. Uh, that's what I went to school for. Marvelous. Yes. That's and, what they used to call you, marvelous. And uh, 23 years later, I'm still selling real estate, still slanging houses. Slanging houses. Slanging houses. So for people who are looking to start over, whether they're coming out of prison, they're coming out of bad relationships, they're coming out of depression, they're coming out of whatever they're coming out of, what advice would you give them? So as you know, I've had probably the, the hardest year of my life coming out of 2020. And so I met that. I don't know, second act, fourth act, fifth act, so <laughs> whatever. You want, you want, I know you're 2020. Do you want to share your 2020? So 2020 started off amazing. I was the president of EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, um, chapter in Atlanta. We were doing big things. It was our 20th anniversary, so we were balling out, or 25th anniversary, I'm sorry. Um, went to the Super Bowl my first time. It was in Miami. I had all the plugs. Life was good. I had gone to a lot of different trips within the first couple months. On spring break with my third child, who was a senior, and it was her senior trip, um, two days in, in Jamaica, I get a phone call that my sister passed away. Um, got on a flight the next day. Prior to that, Four days before that, my father had been diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer. And they said, hey, if he does nothing, it'll be three years. I mean, three months. If he goes hard in the paint, you know, maybe a year. So I get home on, my sister passes on a Tuesday. I get home on Wednesday, get the call Thursday. He's not doing well. Book a flight. Sister and I are en route. Five minutes from parking from the airport, get the call that he passed away. So in two days, I lost two people. Um, then I end up becoming the surrogate mother to my nieces so she has three daughters and I have four of my own so that's seven kids we get back from the funeral in Denver and it's shelter in place and we're gonna do homeschool I'm not a teacher I can't homeschool kids <laughs> so I spent uh, all of March April and May homeschooling seven kids um, from third grade to a sophomore in college which was extremely difficult 
Um, my third daughter, who was in high school, she turned 18 in May. My second son turned 20 in April. We did these virtual birthday parties, kind of like a drive-through. Um, let's see, August, we go on a trip down to Florida. October, or, you know, September comes, and she's supposed to go off to college at Howard University. She has housing. A week before she leaves, they say, hey, we actually want you to learn in place, you know, virtual virtual, virtual learning. So I have a building that I own um, in another city or, you know, College Park, Atlanta. So I let her and her girlfriend stay there for as a, um, you know, pseudo dorm yeah. living. Dorm life. Yeah, dorm life. And I was at the building. My office is next door. And so I came there to check on her. And I saw her Monday. And she was excited, you know, loving life. Her roommate was out of town. She was telling me how much she enjoyed, you know, being on her own at the house. And so I said, oh, great. Now you know that you don't want a roommate when you go up to Howard. The next day, I was at my office for probably about two hours. And I was supposed to have my first in-person meeting from the pandemic. This right. was October 27th. And I had a little tickle in my throat. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do my virtual. I'm not going to encase something. You know, I have something. So I was just there, you know, waiting for my Zoom call to start. I go into the her apartment to see if she wanted something to eat and I was going to have her pick up her younger sister while I was at my meeting. And she was face down and, you know, on the couch, you know, sleep. And I remember looking at her and I was like, can you even breathe like that? And I pulled the pillow up, and, you know, she was gone. She had passed away in her sleep from a seizure. Um, both her and my sister were epileptic, and they both passed away from seizures in the same year. So in one year, I, I go from, you know, on top of life, and then I lose my sister, my father, and my daughter in five-month span. And my oldest niece, I had to relinquish back to the state because I just couldn't handle her. She wasn't ready. Um, no, and she suffers from seizures as well. And I think, you know, it was just a trigger for her that her mother passed and then, you know, her cousin passed. And, you know, she just became very violent and, and unruly and needed a lot more help than I could help give so, her. The, this is, I look at it from where I'm sitting. Everybody looks at stuff from where they're sitting. I forget who I was talking to the other day. My mother had six kids. And my, my uncles, aunts, cousins, all of us. Since I've been born, I'm 53 and a half. I've been to two funerals. I, everybody in our family is literally still here. I yeah. lost one aunt, one uncle, yeah. my entire life. And one, excuse me, and one cousin. He wasn't supposed to live past birth. He had something, but he made it to 23. My entire lifespan, other than elders, great grandparents, right. was supposed to, my grandmother was 85, and so three funerals. So when I meet people, who lose people along the way. Like my, both my parents are living, all my aunts are living, mm -hmm. all my cousins, all my brothers and sisters, all my nieces and nephews, and my great, I have no, it's just, I don't get it. I get it, but it's like just so far removed from my story. Yeah. Of all the trauma we've had, we've not had that trauma. Yeah, it's a very humbling experience, and you definitely realize, you know, the the, the dash between the birth and the death date matter. I just helped bury a 13-year-old the other day, and um, she had brain cancer, and people showed up for her. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy how you never know the imprint that people leave on other people.
you know, only in 13 years, a very short period of time, she was able to imprint on a lot of people. I had the privilege of meeting your daughter. Thank we you. We just came back from South Cal, and we were having you. No, what was it? Um, your son came to stay with me for. Yes. A week. And we came back, and you took me out to dinner to say, "Hey, Dre." And she came by. You say, "Hey, come by yes. and meet my friend." Mm-hmm. I got a chance to meet her, which was a blessing. And then I got a chance to come to her service that you held for her. And when you invited me, I was I was honored to be invited. I'm like, okay, I didn't know I was gonna be invited, but of course I'm showing up, hundred percent. Drove four hours to be here, and when I pulled up, I thought it was a Prince concert. <laughs> Valet parking, you're saying, God, parking guards, they had to have it outside at a stadium, not just because of COVID, but because it was so many people. Well, we didn't know. I didn't know how many people were going to come. My daughter was not a socialite. She was not. She. She either dealt with you or she didn't. You knew exactly where she stood with you. And she spent a lot of her time at home sleep because she didn't feel well a lot of times. So She got out sometimes because that entire stadium No, she was had like full. 700 people at her funeral, which was insane. We had three mayors. Um, yeah, it was, it was big. And I didn't think it was going to be big. Yeah, I, was I had like, no idea. You don't, you don't know how many people are going to come to a funeral, especially during COVID. They, they came out. They did. And they came out and they honored her. And it was just, it was a testimony of the impact that you can make in those years. Yeah, definitely. I, I know what usually we end the show with something and we'll save it. I'm saying because it's just um, I just think wow, she in that many years touched that many people. Yeah, and maybe not even tried. So definitely didn't try. Now what would have happened if people tried to be impactful? Yeah, I think um, the village showed up for sure. I think for second chances and second acts and all that kind of stuff, it's really attitude. I don't know how I'm standing, but I am, and I'm, I'm still finding joy. I'm still, you know, out getting it, wanting to do more and do bigger and better things. But it really is your attitude towards things and, and towards life. I remember the first time I met you, yeah. I was speaking in South Carolina, Went on stage, I did my thing, and you spoke to me after. And I always say to people, hey, I run a prison program, y'all need to come up. And you said, I'll go. I'm like, this lady ain't going nowhere, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> she got a little fly outfit on, she's chilling, you know what I'm saying? She's like the head of her chapter. She's like, oh, I'm the pr- chapter president. I'm like, yo, come on, I'm going to prison, we can go today. And you literally got in your car, and you drove three hours to the prison. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to me, you don't drive. <laughs> I really hate driving. I hate driving long distance. I like to drive, drive, but I don't like to drive out Three, of town. Three, four hours. Yeah, I don't like driving. But you came to prison. You came inside by yourself. What are you, five, six, five, seven? Five, three. I was trying. <laughs> okay, five, six, five, seven with heels. I like that, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely with heels. With the heels. You was five, six, sure. five, seven. For I didn't sure. see you flat foot. Yes. And you came into a prison block of the top gang leaders and influencers in South Carolina, and you sat and you met with all of them. And you spent two, three hours just talking to them. What did you get from that? So the interesting thing is that, you know, I grew up with family members in prison. So my father spent a lot of time in prison. My brother spent 12 years in prison. Um, you know, so it's, it wasn't foreign to me to go to the prison. Um, but what I did realize as an adult going into the prison is that a lot of those kids were the same age as my son. You know what I mean? And it was very difficult seeing how young they were as adults. 
You know, like one kid had been in there for 10 years and he was only 25 or 26. I think he was 26. Mm-hmm. And he had already been in there for 10 years. And, you know, just knowing that those decisions that you make in a quick second really can determine your whole, you know, projection of your life is really sad. Um, I felt like I was talking to, you know, like my son's football team or basketball team. Like they were very polite. Um, they were very articulate. They were very smart. Um, it made me come back thinking and wanting to figure out a way that we could utilize them better. You know, like just sitting there and rotting away for something that they did. Not that to take away from what they did. Obviously, some, you know, most of them had been in there. Right. But, you know, does that really have to be the end all be all? Is it really worth the taxpayer's money to, you know, just have them sitting there doing nothing? Right. You know, like I just felt like it needed to be reexamined and we need to look at it a little bit different. What I always tell people when I speak, people hear me speak, you've heard me speak, mm-hmm. and they clap, they cry. I mean, they're like, yo, this is the most fabulous guy ever. And I always say, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Like, I could have said a very similar story. You know, I, I dated the biggest drug dealer in high school and, and could have easily walked that line and, and been in that life and knew how to, you know. Do stuff. Cook. Yes. Do stuff. Yes, I knew, I knew a couple things. But... You know, I my mother kept me very much involved in school as well. And so, you know, somebody said something to me that changed my life. And that was, when you go to college, nobody knows you. And you can be whoever you want to be. Nobody knows who your parents are, what your parents did or didn't do. Um, they don't know your social status, your economic status, anything. You can really create the person that you want to be. And that statement to me at... 18 years old was very freeing because I always felt like I didn't belong to my family. I'm from a white mother and a black father. And, you know, you kind of live in this world where you don't fit in with the white kids. You don't fit in with the black kids. You're just kind of in this middle section. And that statement was just what I needed to, to become who I thought I was without having any strings attached. And I think going away to school was also a pivotal moment for me. Had I stayed in Denver, where which is where I'm from, I don't know that I would have had the same ability to stretch my wings. Right, because they them. wouldn't know who you were. Right. They and wouldn't they, know where you were from. They'd pull you in, yes. You couldn't escape what people try to box to try to put you in. Absolutely. So what boxes are you confined to now? What confines you now? Um, What confines me now? The short answer is supposed to be nothing, but I'm just oh. not helping. <laughs> I thought we were here for truth. <laughs> nah. Okay, what, what what boxes can find you now? Um, I think all of the boxes can find me to a certain degree. I, being a wife is, you know, a little um, confining or in a box. Being a mother is in a box. Um, I still have one at home, and, and my two nieces are back with their father. And I said one of them, you know, is at the on my way here. I was on a call with the judge, you know, trying to figure out what we're going to do with her. So all of that is... Pressure, boxing, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you learn how to maneuver around it and get out the box when you can. Got you. Okay, so we have, you said people are sitting around rotting, and that's a fair assessment. Um, it's just spoiled, spoiled, spoiled great produce. We're going to be produce. That's a Bill Belichick sign from football. You got to mm. buy the groceries. You got to be a football fan. What advice would you give 
to people who either run corrections or just vote for people who run corrections or advice to improve the system? I mean, first, they have to want to improve the system. I think the way the system is set up currently, it makes a lot of money for people. Um, $50 billion is a lot of money? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just checking. Yeah. It's still a lot. <laughs> $50 billion is a couple of dollars. Yeah, it's a couple of dollars. Um, so I think, for one, we have to decide, A, you know, if a child is a child at until they're 18 years old, then they shouldn't be charged as an adult before they're 18. Like, they can't be Both. a child here, and then in this setting, they're an adult. Their crime can be heinous and all that kind of stuff, but you, they're still a child. If, if, if we're going to say they're a child until they're 18 or 21, whatever that age is, then it needs to apply across the board. And then I say I feel like a lot of the crimes don't fit the punishment. You know, I'm all for punishment, but I just feel like it needs to fit the crime. Like, my brother did 12 years, and I didn't feel like it fit the crime at all. But he was under, um, I believe, the Clinton administration, three strikes, you're out. So he had to serve those out. times. Mandatory. You know, each thing he did was maximum sentencing was three years. You know, it was like, um, I mean, like when I heard what his charges actually were, like they were so petty. I was kind of like, wow. But they gave him the maximum on each one, and then he had to serve them you Consecutive. know, consecutively, which – you know, that was 12 years of his life. And I don't think it really was worth more than three years. Com so combined. what was the impact on your life, your brother being gone? Hmm. I mean, when you go to visit an inmate, you know, you're treated as an inmate. You know, they treat you really bad, even just, you know, being frisked down and going in. And, you know, like just the way in which the whole system they treat you is, is kind of bad. Um What's the impact? You know, it's just, I've never been asked that question. I've never really thought about it. But, I, I mean, there is an impact. Um, I, I mean, you, you lose time with your family members. You lose time. You know, I lost time with my big brother. So when he came out, you know, I'm an adult. He's an adult. But we missed all of those childhood. Because he went in, again, kind of like at 18, charged mm -hmm. as an adult. Um, and then, you know, he's gone for 12 years. Right. When I came home, I wasn't the uncle. Mm -hmm. I was a guy in the pictures on the refrigerator. My sisters had pictures of me on the refrigerator. Yeah. So that's how my nieces and nephews knew me as a guy on the refrigerator. And did you have your poses? Your, I, of course your I had the poses. poses. I had my guy my poses. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The penitentiary pose is mandatory. You know what exactly. I'm saying? You got, you got to post up. So making sure on the improvement part, juveniles should be juveniles. Adults should be adults. The treatment of people when they come to visit should be definitely considered. So, now we have that in. Now, what about the people who are sitting home depressed? Because, I, I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to believe you went through 2020 without hitting some depression points. I try to call you to cheer you up, just to check in on you, send you little hearts and emojis and stuff on the low, just, just shoot stuff at you. Because I'm like, yo, she got to be feeling it. As I just shoot, that's, where the, that's where the random texts come from, mm -hmm. for, for the record. So. Yeah, I mean, I feel it every day. I feel it. Um, but I just, for whatever reason, I was given the mindset of an optimist person, optimistic person. You know, the, ha the glass is always half full. So even at my daughter's funeral, you heard me say it could have been worse. 
she could have been driving and had a seizure with her friends and you know she could have killed them or somebody else or she could have woke up from the seizure and been you know disfigured and not able to speak or something to that effect that would have put her under she would have been like just take me like she really enjoyed the way she looked and you know she she liked that she loved herself um so what do you say to people who are listening that feel alone isolated and depressed so that's what i did learn in 2020 in talking to people in eo and just talking to my friends everybody is going through this something it may not be death, it may not be whatever, it may be a loss of a job, it may be a loss of a child, it may be a loss of a loved one, whatever the case may be, everyone, even the people in this room, are going through their own challenges. And so to know that you're not alone, and God doesn't give you more than what you can handle, this is your path, this is your walk, and you know, things happen to you for a reason. Yes. That you may call on those services and that experience later down the road. I had a friend, Sean Stevenson, motivational speaker. He was born two and a half feet tall, wheelchair bound his whole life. Became a doctor, became a top motivational speaker in the world, and he was just a phenomenal person. He's tons of stuff on YouTube. He actually fell out of his wheelchair, hit his head, and he was in the process of dying. And he said to one of our friends, this is happening through me, not to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that was literally a philosophy he lived on. Everything happens through me. And to be literally, know that you're dying, and quote that, is beyond brave and real. So when you say, hey, this is the person who suffered the most should speak the most. Yeah. I mean, they have the most experiences, right? Right. And, and, and they still are there, and they still make it to the next day. Um but, I mean, it is a peaceful mind that I have. Like, some people just always look at the negativeness and, you know, they can't quite get out of their own way. And I feel bad. I really do. I really feel bad for people who, you know, can't get past it. I think the question I ask you, I ask myself, where would I be if my dad didn't leave? I wouldn't be a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. I probably right. wouldn't have gone to jail. I wouldn't be changing prison systems and cultures. And so it's like, I don't wish my life on anybody. But the life that I lived created the life that I have. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is completely unfair, <laughs> but it's real. <laughs> Definitely. So it's unfair that you had to suffer 2020. But was it a suffering or was it God's will? I've always struggled with that. We'll see. It's we'll to see. be determined. It's to still be. very fresh. Now, what do you want to say? What do you want to tell them? I, I tell people, like, you're, like, you're the coolest person I know in Atlanta. When I came to Atlanta, you're the coolest. I like, when Michelle comes, it's like energy walks in. Oh, thank you. It's like, okay. I mean, I'm, you know, I stay home by myself and work, 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 work. And for the record, I got an EO because of you. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I've been an entrepreneur for many years, but I never signed. You know something? I never signed up. Until I talked to you and you told me I could. You gave me the, the, the Yeah, and you told me that you wanted to be in Atlanta, even though you lived in South Carolina. You wanted to be in our chapter. Yeah, because you was in the chapter. Why would we South Carolina chapter with a bunch of hillbillies? Yeah, so we're happy to have you. Yay. Yes, but I only signed up because you told me that I had permission. Dre, why aren't you signed up? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And then you brought it to my attention that you could sign up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
I do qualify. I qualified for years mm-hmm. and never realized it because I was so stuck in my box of I'm supposed to be in this space. I'm not supposed to be in that. I'm not supposed to be in that room. Yeah, that's where the entrepreneurs are, the important people, the CEOs. The entire time I was a CEO, until you told me, Dre, you're a CEO too. I was like, okay. And this was not 20 okay. years ago. This was a year yeah. and a half ago. 2019. 2019. So you yes. helped me break I'm glad. a box. I'm glad. Yes. Now I'm shattering all kinds of records in EO. Whatever they are, I'll shatter them. <laughs> I just do that. <laughs> you just have to be brought to the table. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I teach people. It's two things. There's getting in the room, then there's staying in the room. Yeah. Very different. I know how to stay in the room. Yeah, very different. I definitely know how to stay in the room. Yeah, it's easy to get to the room. It's It's very difficult to stay in the room. Yes, I definitely know how to stay in rooms. So I'm looking. We're we're about to give a shout-out to the world. Who do you want to give a shout-out to? Hmm, Definitely my village who held me down for 2020. No doubt about it. And it's funny how people think that they're not really close to you and they're not part of your village. And, you know, I know you have a lot of other people. I heard that a lot. And I was like, you know what? Every single one of you means something to me, you know, like real life. Like people who have been reaching out to me since my daughter died are not the closest people to me by any stretch of the imaginations, but they feel compelled for whatever reason to send me a text message or a funny meme or, and we've become close about that. And um, I think everyone comes into your life for a time and a space or in a season And that you should really pay attention to who God puts in front of you or, you know, beside you or with you during that season because they're there for a reason. You can't have one of the things I hate to hear is no new friends. I hate that saying, because if that's the case, I'd be the same person I was, you know, 20 years ago, because how can you grow when you have the same people in your life the whole time? And if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Agreed. You've heard that. Yes. And you're my new friend in Atlanta. I was like, yeah. I moved back to Atlanta. I'm like, come back. Mm-hmm. Michelle's going to show me the way. Absolutely. And people are like, Dre knows everything. I'm like, no. I said, I'm going to go hang out with Michelle. <laughs> and I'm going to go hang out with them and some of them and, you, you and them that? and make me, you know. Yeah. You took me, to, you take me out. I'm sorry, I appreciate you calling me. You invite me to places. I go out. Yes. And it's like, okay, cool. I go out and hang out. I go back home. Like, I appreciate that. So the funny thing is, is I'm really good at meeting new people. And that skill set came from parking cars no No. further back i went to a different school every year of my life until i got to high school so by the time i had got to ninth grade i had been to nine schools already because we were my father was abusive and we were always on the run so i always went to the school opposite of where we lived and flip-flop and all that kind of stuff and so i was really good at meeting people because i had to to. but then i'm not really good at remembering people because once i left you're gone i'm gone um and so that skill set serves me well now like those 700 people that were there a lot of them were there because of me a lot of them were there because of my husband a lot of them were there because of my other children and then some were there for my daughter but collectively how many people we touched and how many people showed love during COVID was very humbling actually it really was well yep up next thing Mm -hmm. this is our close okay second acts my grandmother Nana Pomis, mom's mom. I get my heart from her. Okay. If you think Andre's aggressive, I didn't get it. From, I, didn't, I got it from my grandmother. <laughs> okay. She she was like, go hard. And she got diagnosed with cancer in 85, and she refused the treatment and elected to just die. She said, my kids are good. I'm good. 
I'm not doing all this surgery stuff. I'm gone. And I watched her plan her own funeral mm -hmm. to the point where we put her in the ground. I went back. I was the last one standing, and some strange white guy comes out and says, yeah, um, Juanita was cool. I'm like, huh? Who are you, white guy in overalls? He said, oh, she called me every day. She talked to the dude who was going to put dirt on her grave daily. That's my grandmother. <laughs> Making sure he does it right? Yeah. yeah I'm, she, I'm not mad at her. She, she gets down like that. But I, I, that level of intentionality mm -hmm. has sparked me where the point now is my gravesite. I'm actively planning my gravestone. Mm -hmm. It's going to say, Henri Norman, go back to your dad. 1967 to 3050, because okay. I'm going to be around for a while. All right, I like it. And it's going it's gonna, to it's gonna be said... Harvard Fellow. Mm -hmm. It's going to say, Honorable Son. There's things that I've done for my parents that definitely qualify. Okay. I'm actively deciding what they're going to chisel inside of my stone. What are they going to chisel in your stone? So I want people to say that she lived, she lived her life. Now, how do you break that down? You know, Honorable Son, Harvard Fellow. You know, they Caring, know heart. Huh? Caring Heart. Caring Heart. Um, hmm. it's okay. caring heart, loved people. She did her best. She did her best. So now I need you for the next to work on that seventy years to work Absolutely. on that. Absolutely. So I believe when you understand that, it directs how you move. I believe that too. So I want you to move in purpose with intent, and we want to give a shout out to everybody for listening to the second. Acts and just saying, hey, second acts is real. Absolutely. Final acts is coming, but we're living second <laughs> acts now, right? And, I agree. And we just want to say, I want to say, I appreciate you. You know, I got number of love for you. you know I saying? appreciate and you. Know you know, you got my number, I show up. You know Likewise. Saying? And I will show out. Every time. So I know you are off to greater places. You're going to be. DC. Fly, you fly, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, just thought DC. Gonna, thought you were going someplace fun. I am. I'm going to Cancun the following, on Thursday. So. You know what I'm saying? The life of an entrepreneur. Yeah. I'm working, so, though. I'm working, from, and listen, then I'm playing. I'm working. From parking cars to just flying jets. There we go. You know what I'm saying? So with that, we want to say to all those listening, whatever type of prison you're in, possibilities Me. exist. Whatever prison you're in, you always have the opportunity to pivot, no matter where you are. It's never too late to pivot. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, Second Acts has come to a close, but we're not over yet. We'll be back before you know it. Peace and blessings. Thank you for having me.